get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner, gets up center. Perry, scoops. Oh, God. Are we good? Yeah, we're good. I can barely, barely understand what was said in the beginning. But uh, we're, we're back, guys. We're live. We're on schedule this week. We didn't uh, take a full week off. We've got uh, four games to talk about. You almost nailed the prediction last week. It was close. Oh, wait. Oh, so so I looked into this. You you texted or you messaged me before the, the, the game yesterday. And you said our predictions last week were both 1-2-1. One, and, one, and you specifically had mm-hmm. the, uh, the Jets game as a win for the Ducks. That would have made it 1-2-1. One, and one. But I was looking back through it. They were 0-1-2. One, oh, one heading into that game because they lost to Nashville in overtime and they lost to Minnesota in a shootout. That's horseshit. I hate this game. Yeah. Standing points are dumb. But, uh, yeah, they they were below expectation, which I guess for the Ducks this year is not uh, super surprising. We expected them to win one of four, and they they lost two in overtime. They picked up two points. That's what I was going to say, like – if, if if you're looking for, I don't know, signs of life or whatever, I guess you could say the fact that they got two of them into overtime is not nothing. I mean, they played they played four good teams. Like, you can't take that away from them. Yeah, and, and two of the games were close. The Nashville game and the Minnesota game were close. Dallas was not. 5 nothing loss. And the Jets game was close until the third period, and then it opened mm-hmm. up, and uh, they ended up Absolutely. taking control of that game. Last game of a, of a road trip as well, so that is... It was a little tough to come out of that one, but they were four very good teams, four of the best teams uh, in the Central Division. Uh, so it was always going to be tough. I think the four best teams, other than Colorado, right in the Central Division, or maybe not, because St. Louis is in that mix too. I haven't looked at the Central standings in a long time. I just assume Colorado's near the top, and Arizona and Chicago are near the bottom. Yeah, that sounds assumption. right. Safe assumption at this point. Um, but coming out of that week, oh two and two, the Ducks were outscored seventeen to seven. Updated our our rankings across the league. 31st in goals per game, 2.42. Still dead last in goals against average at 4.19 goals against per game. Power play is now up to 16%, but still second last. And penalty kill is dead last at 65.6%. The Ducks have a league-worst record of 6-17-13. And, and the significant thing about that is how much worse it is points percentage-wise than uh, any other team in the league. San Jose is second worst. The Ducks have a .577 points per game percentage, and San Jose has a .714. So the Sharks have two games in hand, or played two more games than the Ducks. So even if the Ducks won their two games in hand that they have, they'd still be one point behind San Jose, firmly in the bottom of the National Hockey League. And they play Carolina and San Jose coming up this week. So there's a a chance to, uh, if you're on Team Tank, there's a chance to further yourself at the bottom with a loss to the Sharks. If you're not on Team Tank, then that game against the Sharks is a four-point game for you, getting out of the bottom. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's something for everybody this week. Yeah, it's, it's always nice to beat up the other team when it's the Sharks. Um, I mean, look, the reality is nobody goes 0-82, so if they're going to win some games, they might as well win some games against teams everybody hates. 
do us all a solid and, you know, take a couple from the Kings, take a couple from the Wings, you know, maybe pick one or two up on a East Coast swing. Just, uh, you know, go for it. Have some fun with it. Get wild. Get interesting. Get creative. Yeah, but if you're on Team Tank, which is fine. I think we're sort of on Team Tank. At least <coughs> yeah, we want Connor Bedard. You don't want that. You don't want to win against the Sharks, right? But, uh, well, In I guess theory. that's – okay, if you're saying specifically, I think that's a perfectly reasonable point. Um, uh, because yeah, like you were saying, like that is kind of a four point game in that way. So you would kind of hope to, but you know what? Honestly, I'd rather win those games in overtime. Yeah. Fair. I'd be fine with an overtime win where they yeah. pick up a point. You only get one point on them instead of two. I'm fine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I'm done. That would be I, nice. I, we're, we're just trying to make meaningful games out of whatever we have left here. That, that Carolina right. game is going to be tough. No, Freddie, I don't think he's still out. Uh, for that game tomorrow. Oh, well, there goes three easy goals we could have had. Yeah, yeah. instead I think it's either Ranta or uh, Peter Kachetkov, I think is the... Uh, the oh, the kid again. who just signed that extension, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... And uh, for Team Tank update as well, Connor Bedard, I think, extended his point streak to 27 games, and it's like 26 goals and 60 points or something in 27 games. That's uh, absurd. Yeah, just just unbelievable. And I, I saw a bunch of people mention too, like it isn't just Connor Bedard. I mean, obviously that's who you want to get. Um, but Adam Fantilli is a great prospect. If you're willing to wait for Matt Bay Mitchkov for a couple of years, he's a great prospect. Uh, Gabriel Carlson's a really good prospect as well. So as long as you get in that top four, even top five, you should be good. But obviously the the gem, the prize of it all is is Connor Bedard. And if you're having as bad a season as the Ducks are right now, that's there there has to still be some slight dis- disappointment, right? Like, you end up with Adam Fantilli or any of those other guys, you're, you're happy, you're ecstatic, they're excellent prospects. But when it's this bad, right, like, you want the number one prize, especially if you finish last. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it's really weird because, like, I think it, it feels like it's going to uh, – let me say this. Going into the draft and coming – so going into the draft lottery especially and then coming out of actual first day round one of the draft, I do think it's going to be a little unfair to some of these kids because there's no way we're going to see what we saw this year, which is Slavkovsky go yeah. um, ahead of right and right fall that far. Like Connor Bedard is not falling. Like Connor Bedard is not falling 2-2, but if he fell, it would be as far as 2. Like – he would have to shoot someone at the center of the ice while screaming out, like, I don't know, something awful, in order to fall to fifth. Like, there's just no world. So I think it creates this really weird kind of situation where some of these kids are going to end up kind of being looked at as the consolation prizes and these kids are fantastic. Like, I think one of the things that I've been kind of struck by is how many you hear or how many people with, a, you know, a, a better knowledge of this stuff than I have saying that more than a one of these guys would be number one in, in draft years past. Yeah, you've that a lot. Fantilli, like, these guys are, these are guys who probably could have gone one last year. Just the way they started, too, like... It was always, at least last year, it was Mitch Coven Bedard because mm-hmm. they were both playing last year as underage players um, in their leagues and lighting it up. And obviously, Bedard and Mitch Kov at the World Juniors were both excellent. 
And then Fantilli has joined the discussion because he's had a historic start to you know his college career in the NCAA. Yeah, he's, he's with Paul Correa and Jack Eichel. Yeah. And yeah. as far as like points uh, for a freshman. That, uh, it, it's absurd. He's got to break the ice because it's uh, a Canadian and American in NCAA. Uh, it's Paul Correa versus Jack Eichel. And now Fantilli comes in as a Canadian. To You mean good American boy, Adam Fantilli, who plays in the United States of America, where all good American boys play? Yeah, yeah. Because if you're if you're if you're not, you don't make the World Junior camp. And Sasha Pastuov knows that all too well. <sighs> after uh, being the only one of the four players eligible to return to not get called back to camp. Now, it's not like he was a mainstay on that roster. He was the thirteenth forward last year. I thought when he did play, he looked good. But him and his new teammate Ty Voigt, who's leading the Ontario Hockey League in points and has more primary assists then the next player has total assists. He also like leads the league in assists as well, but his primary assist would put him, if he just counted that, would still put him first above everybody else. He didn't make it either. I'm not <clears throat> so surprised with Ty Voigt because the NTDP and the US, USA Hockey has done this in the past. Like, Ty Voigt's been in the OHL to start his career. He, he I think he played under 15 uh, hockey in the U.S., I think in Pittsburgh, and then came over to the CHL. Usually those guys don't make it. He's also a little bit older as well. So I could see potentially why they just decided not to go for him and, and whether he fits into what USA Hockey wants to do. Pastyov was a part of that NTDP team for two years, left, and I guess whether it was his decision or the Ducks wanted him in, in the OHL or whatever the decision ended up being, he moved to the Ontario Hockey League to play with Guelph and now gets moved to Sarnia. He's having an excellent year. He's since moving to Sarnia, he's got like 19 points in seven games. And he doesn't get uh, doesn't get a spot, and it's weirder for me for him because he was on the team last year, and they they felt they didn't see any issue with it last year, and all of a sudden it becomes an issue this year. I mean, it's how how hilarious is it that the two best Canadians in this draft. Well, no, one of the best Canadians. Let me say it this way. Multiple high-end Canadian-born prospects in multiple recent drafts have been college players. Mm -hmm. Sasha Pastyov is an American player who went to the CHL, and now he's not going to make the Olympic team because he spurned Notre Dame. That's – yeah. That's wild. And and the, the thing is that they'll tell you it's not because of this, and people will point to the fact that Tyler Boucher still made it uh, despite leaving the NTDP, same thing after two years, and um, and going to Ottawa, the Ottawa 67s in the CHL. He made it, and Pasturov didn't, so you can point to that as an argument. Um, it was publicly made aware, though, that the Sens had made the choice for Boucher to go play locally for them so they can keep an eye on him. Um, and I think his skill set is something they don't have. Is like a third-line, fourth-line grinder, energy guy they can throw out there. They've done this in the past, the, the USA, USA Hockey. If you know guys have left the NTDP, they just seem to become non-existent when USA Hockey rosters and USA Hockey camps are, are put together. Um, I would lean towards that. But it's disappointing, man, because he, the thing is, he's done everything he, he can to make this roster. He's sixth in OHL scoring. Like we'd mentioned, Ty Voigt's first in OHL scoring. 
what what more do you have to do? He's got 18 goals, which I think is second or third in the league as well. Like he per- slot perfectly. I think Scott Wheeler had him on the third line as his projection. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. Power play one, third line, even power play two is an option. I I don't I don't understand. I mean, look, we've we've seen, like you said, we've seen this multiple versions of this multiple times. Phil Kessel, Bobby Ryan, uh, Brandon Dubinsky. Like, there's versions both different directions of, like, weird guys making the roster or not making the roster uh, for the Americans on whims and and feelings. Um, you know, I, I think uh, that fucking miracle movie, um, the line, I, I don't want the best players, I want the right ones, I think that's kind of, like poisoned our brains to a degree um i would certainly hope that in the years to come and it it looks like we're getting there that the united states is is stronger has a strong enough prospect pool to be able to pick and choose the types of high-end players that they take uh but i think at this point you're still at a point where you should just take your best players um and if pastyov isn't then you know what fine enough but scott's a smart guy and he had him on his his lineup, and so for me, I think there's more reason than not to think that there's something I don't know, kind of petty about this. Yeah, there, there's a lot of people who hopped on this immediately and and pointed to both Pastryov and Ty Voigt as the two biggest surprises to not make the roster, and how convenient it was that they both play in the CHL and they didn't mm-hmm. make the team over some other guys who hadn't been either in the NTDP or haven't played for USA hockey before who have made the roster. Right. And, and again, in Ty Voigt's case, I can look at it again as a guy who's never played um, in the USA hockey program since, you know, he was 15. Okay, fine. Maybe you can make that excuse. He's a bit older too, but past you, I've played on the team last year, which usually means you're a lock, especially when only four guys can return. And, he played in the NTDP for two years. So he knows a lot of these guys. He knows the USA hockey guys. And that's when you start to speculate a bit and it's all conspiracy theories. And, you know, did he burn some bridges on the way out by choosing to, you know, basically snub Notre Dame and, and snub the NTDP and, and USA hockey to go to the CHL. That's a tough move because I, the, I, I would hate to find out that it was because of that. You'll never know. And speculation will always be there, but it's a guy, it's a player, a young kid who made a choice for his development, what he thought was best for his development, he shouldn't get punished and not chosen to play for his country despite earning it because he chose to go play hockey in Canada. That That's a, a tough thing. And unfortunately, it's not like a one-off and you could say, okay, like they just didn't like him as a player. You've seen this over the years with USA Hockey and not picking players that have made that, uh, whether it be Canada or somewhere else, uh, instead of playing college and doing the NTDP to college route. And it's eerily similar to what Russia does, right? Russia, notoriously, <clears throat> when they were in the World Junior Championship, had snubbed any players who had, if you want to call it, defected from Russia over to the CHL or over to mm-hmm. college hockey and always brought the kids who had played in Russia. Um, I made a comment a few shows ago about Pavel Mint- looking at being excited for Pavel Mintikov to be at the World Juniors, completely forgetting that Russia is still banned for the World Junior Championship for this upcoming season, so we won't see him there. But he could have been a guy easily, right, that maybe we didn't, maybe he wouldn't be named to the roster right. because he made the decision to come over uh, pretty early in his development and leave Russia. And that's one of the guys, you know, he's the prototype for guys that Russia 
surprisingly leave off their rosters despite being probably would have been their most talented defenseman that would have been at that tournament. Uh, you could definitely see it as uh, a guy they would have left off. But we won't see him there because Russia's banned. And I completely yep. forgot about that until today. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Um, it's it's weird. It's a bummer. Um, but you know what? I You hope that Minchikov is able to just kind of keep his development going in, in the CHL and uh, keep having the kind of solid season, like really high-end season it seems like he's having right now. It seems like he's producing really well and being very impactful. And, uh, you know, you hope he really makes a push for a uh, a roster spot coming out of camp next year. But I think really more than anything, that's just kind of where your focus is, uh, you know, with him. And, and maybe you take it as a blessing that he's not mm-hmm. going to be doing that and he's going to be playing in the CHL. I don't know. Uh, it's weird. It's weird. And it's it's really hilarious that it's the U.S. and Russia that are the two teams that like have this petulance about them and this like nationalistic ego. Yeah. Um, but you know, what are you going to do? It's dumb shit. Like we, we've seen players uh, who've had dual uh, citizenship choose one program over the other. Maybe in that case you could say, oh, like you well, obviously Perot, can't right? pick that. Yeah, Perot did. I think Chikrin had dual eligibility as well and chose Canada, I believe. Um, I might be wrong with that. But there have been guys who've had dual eligibility who have chose um, different programs. I think Pasturov had Russia or the U.S. that he could choose from, and he chose the U.S. and still ends up getting snubbed off the list. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's disappointing. I don't want to speculate too much on it because we don't know what the, why the decision was made. But either way, like like you said, there, there, there can be a win out of the scenarios that he gets to stay in Sarnia with Ty Void when a lot of guys leave that league and just pad up his numbers and have a good season and play a full yeah. with, you know, well, play more minutes it. potentially, yeah. right? He might be able to move up a little bit in the lineup here or there. Yeah. It doesn't have to interrupt his season, you know, to go to camp and come back. And, um, we, we saw kind of what that did to his season last year. He came back and was slow to get back to things when he got back to Guelph. And, uh, now, you know, things are heating up for him over the last few games here. And he just gets to keep going with that for the rest of the year and prove that he is one of the best players in the league. Nobody's catching Ty Voigt for the league leading scoring right now. He's like eleven points up on the next player. But for Pastuov to potentially finish, you know, full sixty plus game season and, and finish, you know, a ninety to a hundred points, that's what you you would hope from him this year. And if he can get a long runway at doing that and get some consistency into his game, I think that will be better for his development than going back and doing the same thing he did at the tournament last year, which was barely play and not really be given an opportunity. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I there's nothing you said that I disagree with. I think uh, you know you you just kind of hope he has the, I guess, kind of awareness at this point uh, to kind of try to make the the most of a situation that I'm sure he's very disappointed about. Yeah. Uh, I, obviously, I think any player who plays at a high level would like to play for their national team. Um. But you know his. You know, again, like his loss can be turned into a gain, that kind of a thing, right? Like just you got to find your lemonade or whatever. And and so, you know, hopefully he can kind of, I mean, hell, maybe even takes it as like, you know, uh, bulletin board material, right? And like, oh, I'm not I'm not good enough for you. All right, well, let's see what's up. Like, and he goes out and, you know, while that World Cup break is happening or something, he's lighting the world on fire. And, you know, which HL? Uh, OHL. OHL? So there you go. Uh but yeah, so you know, again, 
it sucks for him. You feel bad for the kid. And if it is, like, it, there seems to be at least some legitimacy to the, the thought that it's a little bit of petulance on the part of USA Hockey, then you hope he, he, he shows them off. So beyond that, nothing really you can do except for for the kids that are there. There's going to be Zellweger and Gaucher and who's the fourth kid? Or the third kid. Or is I, it just I, those I two? I believe it's just those two, yeah. Minchikov and... Has yeah, I mean, the other the two didn't make it. Yes. Okay. Um, I'm trying. I feel like they might be missing. I don't. I think that's. I know for Canada, it's just Nathan Gauthier and right. Olin Zellweger. Um, I don't think I'm missing anybody. I don't think Ian Moore was named to the roster despite he went to camp, I think, last year and ended up getting was one of the cuts. I don't think he was named to it. And that would, I think, be everybody else. So it should just be um, mm-hmm. Nathan Gauthier and Olin Zellweger who got renamed to Canada's roster after being on the roster last year. And, you know, for Zellweger, it's based off the fact that he's probably the best defenseman at that tournament and off off the tournament he had last year. He's had a good season this year. By no means is it a step up from the unbelievable season he had last year, but it's really hard to keep that pace when you've really done all you can do in this league and the team is a little bit worse this year. So to ask him to go out and do what he did last year is is almost impossible, but he's producing over... Um, a point per game at this point. And then Nathan Gauthier has gone back to uh, Quebec and has had a really good kind of start to the season here. He's got 14 goals, 29 points in 24 games. So he deserves to be there. And he's going to be that kind of third or fourth line checking forward that um, is going to play a big role kind of on the defensive side for Canada, like he did in the last tournament too, and chip in offensively um, every now and then. So great to see both of them come back disappointing like we said that uh, we don't get to see Mintikov there i mean russia deservedly so is banned from the tournament just on an individual level it would have been really nice to see Mintikov go um just off the unbelievable start he's had to his year but again same in the same breath of uh, of past you he'll get to stay in the league and continue his great season and mm-hmm. and uh you know build on that consistency through throughout the rest of the year and arguably those are the two ducks uh, two top prospects for the Ducks right now outside of Zellweger is, is Mintikov and Pastuov. Hmm. You would put Pastuov over Gauthier? Or Gauthier? Uh, yeah, it's, they're, they're so tough to compare those two because Pastuov, it's all about the points and putting up offense where Gauthier, mm-hmm. he, he brings a, a, you know, a, a different aspect to his game and has put up the points and you know, he's been the second line center instead of first line center on that team, so he doesn't get all the opportunities that some of the other guys do. But I, I think in terms of like pure potential and upside, I would put Pastuov in front of Goche. But if we're looking at projectability and like the floor of things, then you know, I think Goche at, at the very least is gonna be a you know fourth line player in the National Hockey League. I think he's just built to yeah. be that. Um so his floor is is an NHL player, whereas with Pastuov you know, the offense has to translate or it's going to be tough for him to stick around. I think it will, and I think he's showing that it can. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's the difference between floor and upside, I think, with those guys. And then you've got Mintikov and, and Zellweger, who I think are in a tier of their own above those guys, right? Like, they're just kind of the only two right now that are still, I guess you could say prospects, because McTavish has essentially graduated out of that, of guys mm-hmm. that could be legitimate superstars at the next level, right? That project to be stars. I think right now it's just Mitchikov and, and Zellweger who are trending in that direction. Yeah, and I think two things. I think if you wanted to, you could very easily talk me into saying Dostal would maybe be the third person in that tier as far as a guy who can be 
uh, you know, a meaningful, a meaningful uh, starting caliber player, right? Because like with goalies, it's weird, yeah. but like a definitive number one goalie. I don't know why it was so hard for me to find that phrase that I've said a thousand times. Uh, but he has the potential to be a legitimate number one goalie. You've got those two guys who have legitimate top pair defense uh, defenseman potential. <clears throat> and then you go down and you have guys who maybe are going to be a little bit closer to um, role players or, 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 or toolkit players as opposed to just that kind of high-octane, just raw star power. You know what I mean? I, I think, um, you know, Gauthier and, and his ability, like you said, to, to just probably he's going to be you know, he, he's a guy that I think you would feel fairly confident betting right now that he plays 300 NHL games. Um, you know, he's going to be given the opportunity. The skill is there. We've seen some clips of the way he's played this year, and he's he's a little he's a little bit more skilled than I think you would assume based on the kind of the way people talk about him, his profile, and things like that. Uh, but ultimately, it's it's his physicality, it's his defense, it's his uh, you know his his kind of ability to just be a a very strong centerman and, and kind of run a line. And, and you know, in his uh, podcast appearance, Pat Burbeek talked about uh, he thinks he's a center for sure. And so, you know, I think that's where you see him. And then with Pascal, again, it's like you said, it's a guy who has the raw skill to be able to uh, potentially be, be a, a difference maker uh, in a secondary kind of scoring position. Um, and, I mean, again, like, it's going to come down to his skating, right? Because the skill is there. The hockey IQ is there. Uh, I mean, it's hard to say the work isn't there. Um, you know, so it's just going to come down to what, to what degree his skating holds him back, if, it, if, if at any, right? Because, like, we've seen guys who aren't great skaters be very impactful uh, NHL players. John Tavares isn't a pretty skater by any stretch of means, but he's a star-level producer. Um you know, so it's just kind of going to be about that. And, and you've got, you know, the rest of your depth guys. You've got Perbix and Warren and Leno and, and these kinds of guys. So, oh, Luno is someone who would have been eligible but didn't make it. Yeah, yeah, he would definitely. Yeah, I, I think Canada's defense is so stacked. And when you're not on the team previously, it's so hard to make it because they always get so yeah. many guys who can return. Um, and when you return, you know, you have a lot of returnees for a gold medal team. It's kind of impossible. I know they're waiting on a few guys as well to see if uh, if Wright, Brant, and I can't remember. Or Wright, Clark, and I, th- I think um, it was just Wright and Clark are the, the two guys. There's a third guy. I can't remember who it is. I'm gonna look. Caden Gooley, like, but I, I he could, but I don't think Montreal would loan him. Same with Mason McTavish. I think he could go back too, but there's no way the Ducks loan him um, at this point. So, but yeah, for sure it was Wright. For sure it was Brant Clark, and I could see honestly both of them get loaned back. Uh, but the duck, the ducks hopes of a back to back to back, uh, world junior championship MVP. That's, that's been hurt significantly. Uh, well, no minty but it's very, very, very difficult for a defenseman to win the MVP trophy. Uh, Zellweger, I guess would be the best odds of it. Does it count if Connor Bedard wins the MVP and then gets subsequently drafted by the ducks at the end of the season? That's an unofficial back to back to back. Is it not? That's, that's like, I'd claim it. That's like a spare over a strike, but I think he's still th- like that's like an in in the park home run. Yeah, yeah, that's a good. Maybe I'm claiming it. If if he wins MVP I, I think in the Ducks draft, I mean, look, I think you take it. 
and I think you take it every time, but it, it's, I, I don't know, maybe it's really funny if you look at it and you're like, look, you look at the season that they're having, Anaheim are primed to have the best chances in the lottery odd when we get there. Uh, and he's a pretty clear number one, so in a sense, we can assume whoever's in that position is going to take him, yada, 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 talk yourself into it that way. Sure, yeah. I mean, look, I think uh, on Twitter, uh, you can absolutely make all sorts of arguments for it. Uh, yeah. God knows we do. Anything so, else? I'll, I, listen, we, we're looking for any good storylines we can this year, so if I can... If I can convince myself the Ducks have back-to-back-to-back uh, World Junior Championship MVPs and just, again, try and convince myself that Connor Bedard's going to be a Duck at the end of the season, then I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it as much as I can. Uh, but speaking of good stories, I mean, we latch on to anything we can get our hands on uh, with the way this season's going. <laughs> Ali Lozoff tweeted out uh, a kind of funny thing going on behind the scenes. You know, I, would, I was going to say rookie hazing, but by, by no means. Hazing is a very, very poor word. Um, rookie duties for uh, some of the guys this year. So apparently there's a few guys who like to play uh, the board game Catan. Uh, who was it? It was uh, Gibson, Henrik, Shattenkirk, and Stolar are the current Catan settlers. So it's... Which... Honestly, <laughs> other than Gibby, completely tracks. Yeah, it does. No, I Sh- so, Shattenkirk, one hundred percent. Looks like like he organized yeah. the whole thing. Um, so it's the rookie's duty, specifically on this trip. It was Pavel Vergenda's duty to carry the board game. So they have to carry it onto the plane, and they got to carry it wherever they go, and make sure that they have it on hand for when the guys want to play that they have the game. So currently he's rotating each road trip. It's just been rotating between McTavish and Regenda. So the Ducks have two games at home this week. Regenda has now been sent back down. So right now it's nobody's job until this upcoming road trip down my way to Montreal, Ottawa, Toronto, um, and I think Detroit for the week after road trip. So right Anaheim in the middle of a bad season has never had a meaningful Eastern Canada trip, have they? That's never happened before. Mm. Lately, it's been in January, um, and it, That's but fair. it used to be that in is, December. It's been a bit later. Uh, it's been it hasn't been in December for a few years, and they brought it back. Um, yeah, but McTavish is set to be the car- the Catan carrier for this upcoming road trip, and apparently Strom bought the expansion pack, and now he and Benoit have been added to the added to the Catan crew. The most, love this the most unsurprising part of all of this is obviously this has been going yep. on since last year. Um, the rookies last year were Zegris and Drysdale. And uh, surprise, surprise, they were the worst at carrying Catan. A few stories that Ali shared is uh, they forgot it so many times that Zegris had two sets in his car at any given time. And one time they went to dinner and Jamie had to buy Catan beforehand because I guess they misplaced it or forgot it or lost it. And, and then still, still left it at the restaurant, so he had to go back to the restaurant to uh, to grab it. So now we're just get we're, we she put a tweet at the end, a little poll on um, if we're invested in the Chronicles of Catan for the upcoming road trip, and it was uh, 515 votes. 93 percent of us are invested in the Chronicles of Catan. If that doesn't tell you how this season right. is going, exactly. um, yeah, that, that that is a obvious sign. Um, but. 
other other than McTavish. Just McTavish is the only other rookie right now on the roster, I believe, right? And uh, with Rick mm-hmm. getting sent back down. I know a few people may note that even with the injuries, if Grant and Comtois come back, the Ducks are still uh, below the minimum roster limit, so they can have some call-ups. So maybe we see uh, a Perot or a Tracy. Wait, minimum or maximum? But, sorry, below the, the maximum. Okay. So they still have a uh, room to bring a couple guys up, and, and that's we don't. It's not even guaranteed that Grant and, and Comtois are ready to go um, at this point either. So who knows? We'll have to see. But uh, it looks like Mason McTavish is up for Karen Katon for this long. This long. Those guys doesn't have a choice. Yeah. It's it's like he, gonna, it's, it's but it was his turn anyway. Yeah. Because it was just again good so. fortune in that sense. Uh, Eddie, I think the most important question we have to ask for now: Are you a settler of Katon player? I am. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm. I've recently. My, me and my friends have played it. Um, my friends are are big into it. Uh, so every time we get together, we play a bunch of a bunch of board games, and and that's become steady uh, in the rotation. I am not by any means good. Uh, I just work with what I have in the game. But I am sure. I am sure. A big yeah. big fan, and I just love hearing these behind the scenes stories. They're just fun, especially in, in fun. like this. I mean, we, exactly. we know all this stuff's going on, but. It's like when everybody loves seeing uh, behind-the-scenes videos when they got posted last year. That was kind of a new thing that they were doing. Like they're just they're fun. They're fun to see these guys have fun and know that despite how bad the season's going, like they're they're still having fun out there, right? So that's it's important. It's important. You you other than maybe John Gibson, you would hate to you'd hate to see these guys sulking around and being upset all the time. I know it's not easy, um, especially when you go on a long road trip and you don't win a game, right? You go o two and two on this mm-hmm. last road trip, so it's good to know that. Um, you know, a lot of the veterans are in there making sure that guys are having fun and, and including the rookies, especially uh, Regenda, who's the, the new guy, right? So, Yeah, it's nice. I think, um, you know, like we talked about last time, like these guys have been, by and large, among the best players on every team they've been on. And now they finally get the payoff of making it to the NHL, and the reward is congratulations team sucks which is why they were in a position to get you which is again why the draft is stupid and we should abolish it uh, but that's when it's nice to have guys who have been through these kinds of things or guys who've just been around long enough to have gone through the ups and the downs of a normal season and just be able to kind of guys heads are screwed on right and that they're able to acclimate um you know i i think you can see in their play they react a little bit differently you know, um, so it, it'll be nice to see kind of how, as the season goes on, how this kind of trend of, uh, I don't know, I mean, I guess just being one of the worst teams in the league at the very least, like how... It doesn't get any easier. Is. Yeah, it gets tougher like, as the a, season yeah, goes on. At a certain point, I, I think you just kind of reach a point of no return as just far as just like the overwhelming weight of loss, like of losing, not loss. Um, But, you know, so it'll be interesting to see kind of how long they can kind of fend that off and, you know, keep their heads down and and really just try to make sure they go into every game like they want to win it. Right. We talk about that all the time. Or we have, you know, or whatever, like players don't tank. Coaches don't tank. Uh, You know, those guys are playing hard every shift. and, And to think that where no matter where you are in the standings, you are not gonna want to win the game like i don't know unless you're unless you're ryan o'reilly you know and you just want to get the hell out of multiple places uh you know you by and large you're gonna you're gonna keep pushing and and really you know especially for these young guys 
because I think it's it's very easy for them to be like, I'm not going to let this happen next year. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, this is my team now. I'm not, not going to tolerate this. Like, we're going to, you know, and they go into the summer and Trevor Zegers comes back and he looks like Mike Trout. And he's just like, oh, he can lift a house above his head. And he still puts up, you know. 100 points or something stupid. I'm, I'm so glad we were able to extract a philosophical, deep uh, discussion about winning and losing from which rookie is going to carry Catan on the next <laughs> road trip. I love it. I love it. That's all you, man. You're the one who set us up. No, so yeah. I'll, I'll just uh, I'll take that pass no. and run with it. Um, but it's, you know, like, I mean, like we started when we talked about, right? Or like we talked about when we started this podcast. They, you know, get, uh, get no wins on this trip. They go over. And a couple of the games, they, they looked okay. In a couple of games, they looked pretty brutal. Uh, it is nice to see future Anaheim Duck Hall of Famer Jason Robertson playing incredibly well in Dallas. Uh, you know, and making sure that he's in a position to play with Connor Bedard next, or in a couple seasons and really pouring the goals in to help. Anaheim cement their place in the draft order, and so it's nice. It's good. Everybody's pulling in the right direction together, and that's that's what matters. I think. If he doesn't cool off at any point, he's a no doubter for the heart, right? Yeah. Like, there's no question. I don't care if McDavid is thirty points in front of him. If he's sitting in that top five, and he's got fifty goals, a hundred points, uh, he has to be the heart winner. And and obviously at that point, the Stars would make the playoffs. They're in good position to do so right now. I don't think anybody's close. Like I, I really don't think anybody is is close to taking that that mantle from him. Like I know Mitch Marner is doing um, franchise altering things this year with the the uh, Leafs' longest point streak uh, in franchise history. Um, you know, Kirill Kaprizov still doing his thing in Minnesota. McKinnon is dragging a. Did you see their roster for tonight's game? I did. Uh, he's dragging a, a, what is that, 2019, 2018 Ducks roster yeah. through the mud right now. Uh, David Pasternak's having a great year. Tage Thompson, I mean, you know, Buffalo won't, they won't make the playoffs, so he won't win, but he's having an excellent season, fifth in, in league scoring with 34 points. But, like, uh, you look at all these guys, you say, okay, maybe, 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 but Jason Robinson has 41 points, 23 goals, and 25 games played. If that... If he even sticks on anywhere close to that pace, um, he's got to win it, right? Like, he just has to. There's no contest at this point. I think if McDavid hits 60 goals, it's his. And that seems like it's possible. Oh, yeah. And More than likely I'm, I'm not 100% sure. Let's see. I want to see where they're at real quick. Uh... Nope, that's the roster types. Jamie Ben and Tyler Sagan are currently fourth and fifth. Uh, ben has ten goals, sixteen assists. Sagan has four goals, fifteen assists. There is a world in which them having a resurgence that allows this team to be competitive over the course of a season in the way that they are now, right? Because I think the last couple of years. They've just kind of been really feisty, and especially at the end of the season, they got a few more breaks than not, and they were able to kind of sneak their way in, and then, you know, you go on the run with Ben Bishop and all that kind of stuff, or Anton Kadobin, all that. I could see, based on how awful Ben and Sagan looked and were last year, where they give it to McDavid and give DeBoer 
a Jack Adams as the congratulations, your team is incredible this year award. I think that's a very reasonable possibility, especially given, you know, Peter DeBoer's, what is it, he's made, he makes the playoffs like every first year, wherever he is, no matter what. Like, yeah. I think he was the coach for the Taylor Hall season in New Jersey. I think so, um, yeah, for the run that they made. So, how, how many yeah, how many more points and goals does McDavid have to have over Robertson to beat him out of it? Because we know Drysdale is going to be in the mix as well for in terms of total points. Um, it hasn't you know stopped McDavid from winning it the last couple of seasons, but how far in front does he have to be to get that? Because like if he gets sixty, but Robertson gets fifty eight, right? And you know McDavid is at one hundred thirty, hundred forty points, and Robertson's at one hundred and fifteen, hundred twenty. Like, is that enough? Or does he have to be significantly far in front? If he hits 60, it's his. Even if Robertson hits 60? Because he's leading the league in goals right now. I mean, let me say it this way. I think it's fair to say whichever one of them is the leader in goals, you're very likely to see that be the case. I think you could say plus or minus kind of like five. like Yeah. Within, you know, maybe three either direction, you or, or let me say it this way: Robertson can be within three and second place, and maybe you could talk yourselves into well, they don't have a um, uh, dry side, and so maybe you talk Robertson in that way, and, and you kind of lean towards Robertson because what he means to that team is is closer to. Uh, cap was off a couple of years ago or that Taylor Hall team. Yeah. So I can see, I, I think right now it's a two horse race. It's, it's Robinson and McDavid with outside shots here for um, Pasternak or Kaprizov. I think what they're doing individually for their teams and, and the success their teams are having. Um, I think they're in the mix if guys cool off, but right now, like it, it I put money on saying if they continue at this rate, it's gotta be one of Robinson and McDavid. And just before we move on from them, this question arises every year when guys are, you know, getting close to that 50 and 50 mark. McDavid has 21 and 25. Robertson has 23 and 25. So they're halfway there. Any realistic shot for either of them to hit it? Yeah, absolutely. They're fucking incredible. I don't, I don't, you know, uh, be really cool for Robertson to be the guy. Like for McDavid, it's almost just like another notch in the belt, right? Like, of what can this I, guy do? But for Robertson, it'd be amazing. So okay, well, let's do that then. Let's have that conversation. As far as the narrative takeaway from that, right? If either of those guys get fifty and fifty, I think you're absolutely right. I think if McDavid does fifty and fifty, what you see is he's putting himself among the all-time greats. He's making sure that he's going to be with the Lemieux and the Gretzkys and the Crosbys when you know we're arguing about all-time players in 20 years. If Robertson does 50 and 50, it's holy shit, this kid's for real. He plays on one of our... I mean, how much of it does it just become, you know, he's going to carry on the Mike Madonna legacy of being the leader and the face of American hockey in Texas, right? Like, he's the face of American hockey, and and, and you're always going to have the Austin Matthews part of this, but I think... When you look at it and you've got Austin Matthews playing in Toronto and he was born in Arizona and then you have Jason Robertson who was born in Southern California 
LA County and he's playing in Dallas, like now what you have with these two guys, you're like, these are the pillars of American hockey right now. Um, you know, I think you could kind of argue similar to like how Chelios played for, uh, you know, the, the original six, like he played for like four different original six teams over his career. And Madonna was the guy who, you know, just stuck it out until the last year in Dallas and was just a huge part of, of America's like kind of claim to the hockey legitimacy. And, you know, somebody else said it like, it's kind of cool right now that the best goal scorer in the NHL is a Filipino, uh, Filipino kid from LA County. Like that rocks. That's super cool. That's exactly the kind of, of, of stuff you want to see because, you know, it, it, it helps reinforce this idea of great players can come from anywhere. Right. Which more than anything, I think is the best way to grow the game is when you have these guys from random places. Like, uh, I want to say it's was it Owen Nolan was from Ireland. Maybe. I think that's right. I think Owen Nolan was Irish, and like yeah, but he, again, he competed for Canada, right? I think he was Irish. No, yeah, he was born in Belfast. Damn. Yeah, so you know that kind of shit's just super super cool, right? Like Kopitar being the uh, uh, was it Slovenian. Slovenian? Yeah. Yeah, like the only Slovenian NHL like that stuff's just super cool. And I, I think when you have those kinds of things, especially in kind of the Sun Belt territory in the United States, it just kind of continues to help. Um, helps grow the game. Helps grow the game and just gives people the the impression or like, you know, kind of a little bit of reassurance that wherever you're born or wherever you grow up, like you can become an all-time great in this thing. And that's that's really cool. No, 100%. I'm, I, I love Jason Robinson, man. I... Uh, they got to get uh, Nick over to that team or something, and uh, and get his brother over there because he's not getting too many opportunities nope. in Toronto right now. Nope. Nick Robertson is coming back in the John Klingberg trade, <laughs> and that's how we're going to get Jason Robertson in four or five years. Yeah, right into he's going to come what, come play with his brother. Yeah, he, what, what his extension was four years or two years? Three years. Three years. Okay. Well, we got a chance. We got. A chance. I think he was a three-year, seven million dollar deal. This is yeah. It's one of those. It's the Scotty situation, right? We signed mm-hmm. his brother. That's exactly. Signed his. I was about to say we signed his, his um, lesser talented brother <laughs> to to bring over the the superstar. It's not a shot at Rob Niedermeyer; he's great. But um, hey, man, the the writing's on the wall for that point. But we have a couple other NHL topics that we're gonna get to. I want to kind of split it up here and, and and dive back into some duck stuff. We didn't have a ton of, of ducks topics to talk about this week. Um, yeah, it was a pretty down week, all things considered. I, I did want to talk a bit about Mason McTavish again. Um, he's looked great. I mean, he's looked great all season. Um, his usage on the power play has really been eye-opening. I think it was Felix who tweeted out something about um, when Zegers, Terry, and McTavish are on the ice, their expected goals percentage is... is over yeah, it's, 10. It's over no, 10. no, their just expected goals is over okay. 10 expected goals per 60. And it's the second most in the league other than the Stars unit. You know, talking about Roberts yeah. and Pavelski, Hintz, those guys, right? So um, some good signs there. I think the sample size is probably a bit smaller because they've just been put together over the last month or so here. Uh, but he's looked excellent. He's a, a one-time threat on that option. He's still playing fourth-line minutes, essentially, with Jones and Leeson, so not really jumped into that top six yet. But he's really doing everything he can to show he belongs, right? He plays a physical game. He's starting to win more draws. He's starting to throw the body a bit more, be a bit more comfortable out there. 
And he's just one of those guys, one of the few guys on this roster, when he has the puck on his stick, he you have that feeling that he can make something happen. And we really only get that right now from, from Trevor Zegris and Troy Terry. So it's nice to see that developing. I think the only step we're away now is getting legitimate ice time. And I think that will come as the season goes on and as guys get moved out. Um, but that's the next step here, I, I think, for, for Mason McTavish, right, is that He's just got to get into that, you know, 15, 16, 17 minute uh, a night realm as the season goes on. Because right now he's stuck around 12 or 13. I mean, I don't even know if he needs to get that much higher. Like, if you told me he finished the season 14 and a half minutes a night, like with Ryan Strom, unless they're going to move Ryan Strom to wing, I think that's perfectly fine. I don't know. And and it's not even like a rushing him. I just don't think there's really that need to move him. I, I guess it is kind of a rush thing. I just think you can afford to be patient. You don't need to, you know, put him in those kinds of situations. And I think it's always good, you know, when young players have, have something to strive for. They've got something in front of them that they can look at and go, that's what I'm chasing. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and for McTavish, it's going to basically be like, yeah, we signed this guy to a five-year deal, but we would love it if you stole his job uh, within the next two years. Like, that would be awesome. Um you know, and, and that kind of raises an interesting question about McTavish, which is, I don't like Brett Leeson's fine. I think you know he's kind of come along a little bit. He had the goal. Um, what game was that? Uh, against the Cats. Winnipeg. Okay, Winnipeg. Yeah. Uh, which was a great goal, but you know, whatever. And Max Jones, and I like the way Max Jones is playing right now. He's being feisty. He's getting in and around the net. He's you know, I think it was the week before uh, he showed some good, um, some good kind of playmaking skills and giving goes and, and using his skating. But like, you don't want those two dudes on McTavish's wings. Yeah. And I think it raises the interesting question, which is, who do you want on his wings? Yeah, there's not a there's not a ton of options significantly better than that right now. That's the problem. Is I mean, you move up the lineup, come to us, Silverberg, uh, Henrique, right? You've got Vitrano and Strom. I yeah. think you know. My question is: is how much is it just you play him between the free agents? You leave Henrique on the wing uh, with Zegers and Terry, which has worked very well. And, you know, now you have a third line of Comtois, Lundestrom, Carrick. Yeah. I don't mind that. That's that's fine enough. Maybe you put Silverberg on the other side, so it's Comtois, uh, uh, Lundestrom, Silverberg. Um, yeah, but, I'm definitely not – I'm not upset where he is now. It's like a selfish thing of wanting – Wanting to see a guy who's impressed, like, get the reins right off the bat. Like, we all did this, I think, with Trevor Zegers as well, obviously, mm-hmm. right? As we, got, we just want to see this guy get given the, you know, the number one job right off the bat and him run with it, especially because he's played well. But I do think there is merit to what they are doing and letting him ease into it. There is no rush. This There's no urgency in this season to push him along faster than you really need to. Um, and when you can get better players, you know, hopefully next year for him to play with, if guys like... Maybe if Pasturov comes up, it's, it's a little stretch, but if Perot and Tracy can come up and you have some other options to put him with, maybe it is better to wait or ease it on as the season goes in the last like stretch of the year when guys inevitably are traded out the door, then you kind of elevate him for like that last game stretch of the season to really finish strong into maybe a top six role at that point. But you've noticed that, I think, a little bit, right? Is, okay, he started on the wing. 
Okay, then he was scratched for a bit, and then, bam, into center, you know, as a fourth-line center. And then now he's on power play one, and it's, like, slowly progressing and moving him into yeah, different no, scenarios. and that's that's the thing. It's not about his usage. I have no problem with the way he's being used right now, the way he's being, you know, the, posi- the positions that he's being put it in. I think for me it's more of, you know, I think we kind of said it last time, like, what exactly is that Brett Leeson does? Like, I don't dislike him, yeah. but I'm not 100% sure what he does. And Max Jones is a drive-to-the-front-of-the-net player, create chaos. And, like, as much as McTavish's shot makes him a threat from anywhere, um, I do think there's a lot of value to having him near the front of the net, at which point, why have three guys on the line that all do the same thing? Yeah. And and I think that's what it like again like it's more just about the the stylistic fit of who he's playing with and you know that's like if they did Silverberg and Comtois I guess maybe you could talk me into that uh, with Comtois being a little bit more of the front guy and McTavish kind of playing on the sides a little bit but I just it's a weird thing for me because I think there aren't a lot of clear. Um, I don't think there are a lot of clear-cut pairings and lines. You know, I think maybe you could talk me into, like, moving Petrano up to play with Zegers and Terry and then putting Henrique with Strom and McTavish. And, like, I could see that. You could talk me into that. I just – it's just a weird thing, right? It's it's a roster in flux. It's a transition time for the team. But there, there just aren't a lot of easy fits. And yeah. it makes – you know, kind of looking two, three years into the future, even just next year, like it raises a lot of questions and and I don't mind that they don't have answers yet, but I do think these are the kinds of things to kind of keep an eye for, keep an eye on and see as the season progresses. And uh, as McTavish gets more opportunities and is put in more meaningful positions, if his wingers change, if we see Strom move outside, right? We know Strom played wing Uh uh, in New York at times, but he said he likes being in the middle of the ice. So what does that mean for McTavish? Um, you know, just those kinds of things. And, and, and I don't, none of this is intended to be like a final anything. It's just, these are the kinds of questions I think, given how clear this season is headed the direction it is, these are the kinds of things that we can keep our eye out for and, and try to look for and, and pay attention and, and think about in order to, I don't know, get the most out of this season to have an idea of where this team's headed. Uh, I was just sorry going through um, the Ducks Twitter looking for the lineups for last game, and I noticed we did. There was a third guy we missed. Tyson Hines was also named to Canada's yes. uh, junior selection camp. So great for him. He's he's had um, a really good year. I think him and Leno are both around twenty six, twenty seven points in the QMJHL. So yeah, congrats, uh, congrats to him too. Um, on McTavish, I guess the last thing I'll, th- I'll say is the Ducks did go 11 forward, 7 defenseman last game. So he was technically elevated to third-line center with Lundestrom out. He still played with Jones. He and... was playing first-line wing. Yeah, he played – He played uh, when he was out with his line, he played center with Jones and Leeson. And then I saw a bunch of people saying he at some point he was out there as a winger with Zegris and Terry um, mm-hmm. as kind of the extra guy to – he seemed like he was the extra guy to jump up and down in the lineup when they needed him to last game, which was nice to see. Um, and, and honestly, like, if, out of all the guys right now on this team, that if I could pick somebody to do it, it'd probably be him. Because, you know, he can really bring something to every line right now. I mean, he's got the size and, and the drive and, and the ability to kind of play that physical grinding type game. But he's got the skill to move up uh, in the lineup, and, and he's shown that uh, for most of this year. So, I mean, Lindstrom's out for about six weeks here. 
I know other guys are coming back, Grant and Comtois at some point, but you would imagine that, or you would hope, as you can never imagine with Dallas Aikens and Derek Grant, but you would hope that... I, I don't I, I I listen I'm not I'm not buying into that no, same narrative. No, we're not I, even doing I just this. Mean, we're not even doing. Just keep going. I, I could see anything. McTavish, Jones, and Leeson being still together, and it being like Grant, Carrick, and Silverberg, or something like that, right? Instead of of McTavish yeah, absolutely. Taking that. And and who cares? That's fine. That's that's a perfectly fine line. No, exactly. And, and Grant, just, Silverberg, and Carrick is, Carrick is a perfectly fine. Just line. because uh, McTavish, Leeson, and Jones are listed on the the little sheet as the fourth line, um, the fourth line, that doesn't mean they're actually the fourth line. Ultimately, they could play more minutes at the end of the night. Usually, they do anyway. And McTavish will pick up more minutes because of his time uh, on the power play anyway. So, just yeah, I you know, I mean, sometimes some of that stuff can just be a little misleading. Like for a not insignificant amount of time, Patrick Kane was the second line winger. Yeah, and you know what I mean. Meant absolutely nothing. But what it means fucking nothing. So yeah. you know, I Drysaddle was the second line center for a exactly. while. Exactly. Like it's still it's, is, right? it's so it's. It's, you know, I think there's something to when your team is a little bit more established and, and a little bit more or, or significantly more competitive, right? If you're looking at the playoffs and you want to try to draw a little bit more from the way that the lineup is like listed, that's fine. But like how many times have we seen teams start third lines? So like, what does that mean? Does that mean that they're starting a bad line? Does that mean that the third line is actually a first line? Like, I just think. Some of this stuff we can get a little too kind of, I don't know, Inspector Cousseau about. Yeah. And uh, it's not really necessary. But, you know, again, like, if that's the fourth line for the rest of the year or even, you know, all the way up to February, like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Um, I like it better if, than some other lines that we've put out there yeah. in recent times. So. And the thing you said real quick about any other players about moving up and down through different lines, the other player I would say with McTavish that I would love to see that with is Vetrano. Yeah. yeah, he would have been my other because guy too. That boy, that boy just pulls the trigger every damn time, and it is such a welcome sight to just see him be absolutely willing every chance to just rip a shot. Yeah. He knows why he came here, and he's going for it. And, you know, that kind of volume – has impact that kind of consistency has impact we've seen that he has the shot where he can beat goalies from out and um you know just generating chances and things like that like i think that's huge and and his willingness just like eagerness to shoot the puck is is really a welcome sight because other than that it's troy terry those are the only two guys that like look to shoot yeah i think zegris is a little bit 50 50 i think you know even mctavish i, I think we can too, so. Low 50, yeah 50. i think we can safely put to bed the idea that zegris is going to be a overly pass first guy he seems to be a very 50 50 kind of cat um which is perfect and, uh, it means he's it, it means he's making Huge. the right decisions right so when he needs yeah. to so because he's got the skill to pull both of them off, right? He's got the vision to pull both of them off. He's got the confidence to pull both of them off. Like, we've seen him make ridiculous passes. We've seen him make bad passes. We've seen him make crazy shots and make bad sh- – like, take bad shots. And so yeah. – it, it's, it's a bad comp, but it, it – because nobody compares to this player, but it, it's like McDavid in the sense that McDavid isn't listed as having a shot that you normally say is top in the league as a guy who's going to put up 50 goals. But his decision making is at a level that he shoots and he or he you know he goes for goal at the right times that puts him in a good position to score goals. 
um, and then has the ability to make just the ridiculous passes. And, and I think Trevor Zegers is in that same sense of, of the way he plays and the decision-making he has, where he will be a guy for a while that could be like a 30-60 type guy. And he doesn't profile an, as a 30-goal scorer, but because of his decision-making and his skill level, he can get that. There's a e- easier comp that you missed. It's his hero. Touch your kid. Yeah, that's exactly who yep. it is. It's, yep. you know, where you could see him push for the rocket one year and the other years he's pushing for kind of heart consideration because he's 35 goals, 60 points, or 60 assists or some shit like that. So it's it's really nice to see. I actually want to get your thought on something. Yeah, I was watching him the other night and he was just being an asshole. Like, uh, it, I don't, it was one of the first two games of the week. He was just being an absolute asshole out there. He was just like, I don't know, like he cross-checked somebody. He was getting into it, like along the boards. He threw a hit and he put his whole, you know, all 100 pounds of him into it. And it dawned on me that he's a Corey Perry type. He's a competitor. In, in, in Yeah, exactly. Like in his profile, I think, you know, I think um, – Troy Terry is a little bit more of, of a Scott, like kind of Niedermeyer, maybe if you want to say a little bit of a Getze and a little bit more toned down. But very reserved. But Trevor Zegris is he doesn't shut up and he seems to be looking to start shit. Uh the more he plays, and I am loving well, it. Well, you you talk to anybody that knows him and they'll say he never shuts up, and that includes when he's on the ice too. Uh, former yeah. teammates, I remember interviews with Jack Hughes, and like everybody says the same thing. The guy just doesn't shut up when he's out there, and that's whether he's talking to his teammates or talking to the opposition. But even in scouting reports for Trevor Zegras, early on there was not concerns, but it was noted that he's got this aggressiveness to him, and you know, not a discipline issue, but you know where he will kind of cross the line sometimes and and make those plays and and get in guys faces and be that type of guy right and it's in the mm-hmm. sense of a Corey Perry or a Matthew Goodchuck where he's a supremely skilled player and maybe not the biggest guy uh but he he plays that way and he plays he's a competitor he plays hard he gets in your face and he never shuts up he's exactly like the two of them in that sense so I love it. I love to see more of it from him. Um it just goes with the type of game and the and the type of guy that he is. And uh, you just like you said, you kind of just see it more and more, or as the as the season progresses. And I'm I'm sure as he gets more frustrated individually with the results and stuff too, it probably comes out mm-hmm. a little bit more. Uh, but so far, it, it hasn't it hasn't been at a detriment to the team. He hasn't you know he's I don't think so. Hasn't taken any bad penalties. You know, every player makes mistakes every now and then, but it hasn't come to a point where you look at it and say, oh, like he's got to cut that out a little bit, right? Like there there's no. We've haven't got to that level. I don't think we will. Where there's concerns that he's taken a little bit too far. No, no, I don't think that's it. And you know, again, like you said, I think if you told me at the end of the season he started some kind of huge scrum around the net that ended with two or three different fights happening at the same time, all right, fine, I can totally see it. Do I think I'm going to be worried about him getting suspended for four or five games at a time in five years? No, I don't. I, I just don't think that's that's where he's headed. Um, I think it would be much more likely for Mason McTavish to throw an unfortunate hit and get five games than for Zegers to do something dirty that would elicit five games. Yeah, and it's, it's um, safe to say Troy Terry will never enter that realm <laughs> in that discussion. Ever. Is Troy Terry going to win the Lady Bing? 
Like, okay. do we can we safely say that there is a legitimate chance that he's he profiles as a, one of those types of players, real lady being winner, right? Like, yeah. doesn't really do anything to kind of like push the edge or push the I mean, envelope guess, a little bit. So, I guess Korea is the comp actually for him when you talk about. Specific, like, because Getzoff was never going to win a Lady Bing, and even Scotty wasn't going to win a Lady Bing. Yeah. I don't think he ever any votes for that. Like, I, I wonder if it is more Paul Korea, where it's a little bit more reserved. It's quietly doing their job, but yeah, leading by in, example in, type thing. And an offensive dynamo in a, in a way that like Solani wasn't. Yeah, like not not not. Remember that interview stylistic, with yeah. stylistic. You remember that interview with with Tamu and Paul that they they put out on Duckstream. Um, and I think they talked about this and, and like them both being leaders, but in different ways in the locker room and mm-hmm. how Paul was a leader, but in a different sense, he led by example, did the right things. You know, I, I think Korea made a joke, about, you know, he's always on time. He, you know, he's, he's always making sure other guys are doing the right thing, eating the right things, you know, st- sticking to their, their schedules and their re- and regimens and everything. So it, it Terry feels a, a lot like that type of guy, right? That type of player. And it's why people put him in that conversation as a future captain of this team, mm-hmm. because he just has that profile about him. When you watch him play, when you hear him talk, he, he just seems like that type of guy who quietly goes about their business and gets things done on the ice. Um, and guys respect that, and you see that. I mean, guys really respect him on this team, and a lot of that is just him going out there, getting the job done on a nightly basis, and and doing it uh, in an admirable way. Six, uh, six out of thirteen years, Scott Niedermeyer got Lady Bing vote, so I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, but never won it apparently. That's interesting. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's. There's a lot to see right now. I got yelled at this weekend by my uncle who said I was being overly negative. He kind of lumped you in there too, but he was a little bit more mad at me. And he said, I should stop being so negative. We are definitely can be negative times. There's absolutely no way we are the most negative of everybody uh, that does this. There's no way. We are positive I, to a I fault that sometimes, I feel at least. I, you know, he, he said... He basically just told me, you shit on these kids all the time. And I'm like, that's fair because I do talk about the team being bad. But I feel like I'm mad at the older guys than more than the younger guys. But yeah, it's easier uh, to me. Shout out to you, Jimmy. Uh, so, yeah. But I think there's, in that vein, there are plenty of things to look at as the season moves on to, to focus on and to be excited about, right? There's prospects you can follow or, or – or, pros- yeah, prospects you can follow – their minors career, how they're doing juniors and things like that. You've got San Diego. You've got the young guys on this team. You you know, you've got Andrew Burnett and how good of a job he's doing in Florida uh, in New Jersey right now. And you know what that could mean for Anaheim next year. Uh, there's all sorts of fun things to be excited about. And we haven't even gotten to what is going to be the highlight of this season, which is going to be the middle of January heading into the trade deadline. Yep. Cause I think the trade deadline is what the beginning of March. Yeah. So middle of January, late January is when we'll start to see it kind of really start to pick up with people getting the rumors out there. Yeah. That those week or two heading, uh, leading up to the trade deadline is where it starts to get real busy. Uh, and the ducks are already in discussions. We, we had a whole segment on this last podcast where we talked about some of the rumors that are out there right now surrounding Klingberg and for Toronto, Shattenkirk and others. So it's only going to continue um, and add more guys to that list as the season goes on. 
Um, and we're expecting to see some movement. I mean, you, you, you can't be a team like this that has a lot of uh, pending unrestricted free agents and a lot of valuable players on it without being part of the discussion um, as a team that's going to be potentially the most active at the deadline, especially when you have a new GM who has stated publicly that they're you know always listening, not many guys are untouchable, and they're willing to um, you know make the right move if it comes across their desk. So it uh, it should be interesting. But we got a couple of NHL topics before we move into our last deck topic. You want to... We got uh, Jordan Bennington's hit on Jason Zucker, <laughs> and then we've got uh, you had a conversation you want to talk about um, um, Jacob Hornquist or not Jacob Hornquist, Jacob Voracek and Patrick Hornquist. Do mm-hmm. you want to move into that one? I gotta. Uh, yeah, let's do that. You explain sure. that, and I gotta take a quick shot at Nyquil. So, <laughs> so if, if you see me <laughs> drinking something, the, it's that. Yeah. So yeah, going hard on the, the stream tonight. So Jacob Voracek, it came out, uh, I, I believe it was today, might have been late yesterday, that his season is likely done due to long-standing and lingering concussion issues. Patrick Hornquist was moved, uh, also recently had, and this one I know was today, uh, had some issues uh, where he has been put on injured reserve because, again, his long-standing uh, and lingering concussion issues. The reason that I think these two, two particular names caught my eye is Jacob Voracek makes like 8.625 or something like that a year for this year and next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Patrick Hornquist makes like five and a half, five and six, something like that. Um, and he's an unrestricted free agent at the end of this year. But those two are both on teams where they need that cap space. As much as this season has sucked, for Columbus and as disappointing as it is I do think they are a team that would be more than happy to try to turn that eight and a half million dollars into a, an active player um, you know and, and potentially a difference maker you know maybe they go out and get Brock Besser or something like that right uh, or Bo Horvat right these are the kinds of players that we know around like Bo Horvat would be huge for them um, you know and if, if they can use Jacob Voracek as a long term IR uh, to kind of make that make that paper transaction work in, in Vancouver's favor and have somebody to put on IR next to uh, Michael Furland I think there's something there and so I just think <clears throat> again like with what we've heard Verbeek say with what we know about the way that the league has kind of been trending as far as teams being a little bit more uh, aggressive and trying to maximize LTIR cap space and things like that. I, I wonder if there is an opportunity for Anaheim to step in and maybe try to take on some of these contracts. And the reason it's an issue in Florida, I should say this, and the reason it's worth it, it the reason it will be take a time to get resolved is because anthony duclair was supposed to come back and they would have been over the cap but with hornquist being hurt now he is uh going to be able to go on ltir in repl- in place of anthony duclair and his cap hit is higher mm-hmm. so anthony duclair will be able to move back into the active roster and they won't have their hand forced just yet about what they have to do because there is even some talk they might have to trade Anthony Duclair, and we know they don't want to do that. No. He's got great chemistry. Um, so it's it's going to be really interesting, I think, and, and I just think those are two examples of one team that is really trying to fight in 
uh, Florida, the team that is really trying to fight and push for the playoffs, right? They, they made their push. They went out and got Matthew Kachuk. They moved on from Mackenzie Weger. They're playing uh, Spencer Knight. Like, uh, they brought in Paul Maurice. Like, they, they have made a number of decisions that show they are 100% in right now. And then you've got Columbus, who was hoping to be better this year and is in the unfortunate position of being at the, you know, in the bottom four, bottom five. And so I wonder, you know, if, if Jacob Voracek with a somewhat reasonable assumption that he probably doesn't play again, because I think he said it's a long shot that he would even play again this year. Um, and if that's the case, I have a hard time, you know, cause with concussions, it's, it's not like a broken bone, right? Like if it's a broken bone or something like that, you're like, yeah, that just heals. Concussions aren't like that, obviously. And so I just wonder if, you know, he just decides to be done and if he wants to, you know, LTIR retire, um, it creates an interesting opportunity for Anaheim to maybe go out and get some guys or, or pick up some assets. Yeah, I think the Florida one is is we've talked about Hornquist before. Is even last year at the deadline as a guy the Ducks could look in. The, I think in the off season too to take his cap space on and help the Panthers who are going to be tied up against the cap. And um, it's going to look like they they would be the likely team to do that again. I know Florida was mentioned in some John Klingberg rumors. Personally, I don't I don't see their need for him with having Ekblad, Forsling, Montour ready. I feel like they almost need kind of the opposite there. Um, I've, I've heard that makes more sense for Kulikov. But in the same point, though, um, you know the Panthers' power play has been 20, 20th in the league, and they're but they score at a rate that's ninth in the league. So their power play has struggled despite having all these guys. And Ekblad's been back for you know fourteen, fifteen games at this point, and it's still struggling. I know they're missing Barkov right now, but he still played nineteen games this year. So there is some you know hopes that they can they can add to that power play. And Klingberg could be a guy, and that's where you think, okay, well the Ducks can eat, you know. 50% of Klingberg's contract, and that doesn't hurt them. But maybe they can get a little bit more out of the deal on top of what they could get from for Klingberg by taking on Patrick Hornquist or, and potentially... 5.3, by the way. For Hornquist? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a team that definitely can take on that full cap hit, um, you know, free up some space for the Panthers, not only to be able to afford Klingberg, but potentially go out and do something else, and whether that's with Anaheim or with another team. There, there still aren't a ton of teams across the league that are in a position, really, other than Anaheim and Arizona, to do that. And I know Arizona's main focus right now is is figuring out what the hell they're going to do with Jacob Chikrin. That's their their main focus. So the Ducks are kind of immediately here in a good position to be the primary team that's active on that front and bringing in cap space and, and getting assets forward. And I think Hornquist, just because of the position the Panthers are in and the expectations on them, um, to be a playoff team and a team that can go deep, I think they'll be a team that will will be fun to watch for on that front. But you're right, uh, you know, on all accounts with Columbus as well. Obviously not in a playoff spot, but looking towards next year and trying to get out of that second year of Voracek's contract, then you know I don't think they have any expectations to go on a run this year. But it's more about dumping that space next year and trying to mm-hmm. add to this team when Orensky's back, when Boquist is back. Uh, maybe a few more off additions in the off season with that cap space that you can start making a run uh, in the in that metro division, right? So I think theirs would be a more of a look to next year. But again, the Ducks are one of the only teams that could probably take that full eight million and get mm-hmm. something really nice in return. Now I don't think you get. I'm sure they would ask for Columbus's first round pick this year. I don't think you're going to get it as a potential mm-hmm. another. 
uh, first round pick, but maybe you get next year's if they gamble on being able to do something with that cap space, or maybe you go out and you get one of their top prospects or something like that, um, and kind of add to your cupboard. And all you had to do was take on that eight million for next year for a guy who's likely not going to play anyway. So the Ducks will be involved as they always are over the last couple of years in in a, a myriad of different types of deals, and I'm sure these ones to take on cap are, are going to be ones that we see in the rumors a fair amount. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, again, like, I, I just wonder, like, could you get KJ out of Columbus? I, I doubt it. Maybe. I doubt it, but that's an interesting one. Um, yeah. Columbus is in fourth right now by points per game or points percentage. And they are in a bad way. Uh, yeah, they lost it's a lot looking of their, hard. their blue line, I, you which know, was tough. So. Yeah, and I think, you know, with, with guys being out, they probably just hold on to Voracek until the draft, and if they decide to make a move, that's probably when they do it. Maybe yep. see if they can, you know, again, finish a little higher, a little closer to, to the wild card spots, and maybe yeah. it's, if that it's pick not is so hard to move five, on from an yeah. 8, 9, 10 pick. Yeah. You know, and and you're willing to do that because again, that that eight and a half million dollars can do a lot mm-hmm. uh, for oh, a team yeah. like that. And like I, I would really love to see them go out and get like a Bo back. I think that would be great for them. Yeah, have a legitimate uh, top six center. I think Bo Horvat is a low end number one center. I think you could even argue he's probably more suited to being a, a proper second line center. But with Gaudreau, with Johnson, with Lyon, uh, and what is it, Cylinder? Yep. Did I get yep. Did I get the right one this yep. time? Because uh, I always get my coals mixed up, um, you know, with those kinds of guys, you can you can start to talk yourself into a situation where you go, okay, we've got now these more established players who can insulate our our young stars in a way, and, and you know, Patrick Line is still like seventeen somehow, um, you know, so I, I think it provides a very interesting opportunity for them to be aggressive in a, in a meaningful way and try to take a run next year at really pushing for the playoffs because obviously that's what they want with Johnny Gaudreau. So Yeah, I'm trying to, to see who uh would be some of the top free agents available uh for next season but uh John Klingberg. Cat friendly does not want to to work with me to see that so Cat friendly hates you. Yep, can't pull it up. But I yeah Horvat would be one of the guys I, I think Miller JT Miller was signed to an extension in Vancouver, right? So um, I believe he was a few. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was. I'm, now I'm wondering if you just trade forward check for Miller. Yeah, maybe. Uh, Vancouver's not in a, a, a in you know a, a spot where they can really push for the playoffs right now. They just lost again tonight to Montreal, so they'll be an interesting team to watch um, and see what they move on. Because yeah, Horvat's the one kind of dominating the headlines right now. But Besser's was involved in some trade discussions last year and early into this season. Miller's been a part of that or was a part of those discussions until signing the extension. Um, really, anybody that's not named Elias Pettersson or Quinn Hughes at this point is available. Because even Demko, there was there was rumors that he, you know, LA might be interested in him. Um, a few dude. If he ago. goes to LA, I quit. I fucking quit. I, I do, for for me personally, I don't get that move from Vancouver because you don't have anything else in the pipeline um, to really come up and take that job from Demko. And I think he's you to only keep... move Demko if you're completely rebuilding. Yeah, yeah, and because he's what twenty five. He's in the same age range as Pedersen and and um, and Quinn Hughes. So 
So yeah, I don't. It doesn't make sense. It it just doesn't make any sense why you would move. But it is the Canucks, so they do a lot of things that don't. Twenty six. Yeah. Yeah, that would be like. I mean, you know, maybe, maybe, L.A. has a goalie prospect that they like, and you swap Cal Peterson and his fucking stupid five million dollar deal or something, uh, for Demko and something like that. But like, I just, I don't know. I don't. I I don't know why you would move on from a guy. But, okay, so let's do this. If you're them, do you look at John Gibson and Anaheim and, and kind of see a cautionary tale and maybe try to get out ahead of moving on from Thatcher Demko, even if you don't really have a clear line of succession? Because I think you could argue that for one of the biggest reasons, among the top reasons they did not move on from John Gibson was they didn't really have the pipeline to back him up. All the other... Ollie Erickson Eck uh, always had, you know, one B potential, but I think he was always seen as a bit more of a project. And Dostal, you know, didn't even come over till last year, and so it, it was just a very different situation. So I, I wonder if maybe you look down at Anaheim and say we got to move on from Demko before this, you know, shitty team completely destroys whatever trade value he has. I, I think it'd be an interesting move for both teams. It ultimately comes down to how much do uh, does Vancouver like John Gibson, right? Um, and if they're willing to mm-hmm. to make that swap, John Gibson is... Well, no, 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 not even that. I, I just think you look at what happened to John Gibson and the way his, his trade value Oh, okay, tanked, I understand, yeah. And you're like, maybe it's actually a better option for us right now to actually look into moving on from, from Demko while he still has trade value, while he doesn't have any trade protection. Um, more of that kind of way. Yeah, I I think personally, looking at the options they have behind Demko, you would hope that you're getting a young goaltender in return, whether they can come this year or not. You you that's what one of the main pieces of the trade would would have to be for me, um, especially with you know not trying to waste the the prime years of Pedersen and Hughes and try and find that goalie down the road because at that point if you're not getting that in return you might as well just keep Demko because yeah he struggled this Mm -hmm. year but the team as a whole hasn't been good it's the same argument we've had with John Gibson where he's not been great but he's also not been as bad as the results show and I think the same thing can be said for Demko he's had his off games as well but I do think he's a talented enough netminder that he's not a guy you move on from with no succession plan in place whether that's a guy you bring in in a trade or you know you have a plan in place of a guy in in your organization or guy you're going to aim for in free agency or trade or whatever it is um, to make up for that loss I I think it would be tough, but it is a valid point um, in you know, taking the, the value your asset has now into account and saying, do we move him now before this really goes off the rails? What would you need to get from Florida to do Demko and Garland for Bob and they don't have a first-round pick for the next three years? They have a shitty pipeline. Is there anything that they could offer? It's it's to so get tough. you to take on Bob. Uh, I mean, like if you're, I mean, you have to ask for a Lindell. Yeah, that's what I'm Lindell, saying. Right? If you're, um, if you're Vancouver, you're asking for Lindell because Bobrovsky is is 34 at this point, right? He's not really your. He's to to kind of weather the storm a little bit until you find. He's another. Luongo coming back to Florida. 
He's just like, oh, this is a guy that makes too much money, and he's here now, and he's just going to be the goalie until he's dead. Yeah, and out of everything they have, I think the only thing that makes sense to ask for is, is Anton Lindell. I don't see what else that you could bring back that, that means anything to Vancouver to move on from, from Demko. And Would Garland. you trade Pedersen for Lindell? I No. I, no, because I think what you hope Lindell turns into is Pedersen, right? And I, I'm always about keeping a guy that. Uh, I think what you hope Lindell turns into is a better version. Of, I think, like, this, see, this is the problem because there's a name that I want to say, and it's stupid. So I will say a different name. You hope he turns into Ryan Kessler. Okay. I I don't think he's Lindell. That is. Yeah. Okay. Because the other name I was going to say was Patrice Bergeron, but that's just absurd. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that just is feels unfair. Like I feel like saying you should turn into Barkov, right? So, yeah, that's a little bit more. I think of what you're looking at, and so if you're them, then you're like, all right, we get him, we bring him in, whatever. We're probably going to finish with one of the high end picks. So now maybe we're running Fantilli and Lundell down the center moving forward. We've still got Quinn Hughes. We're not completely hosed. We see what we can go out and get for like Besser, Horvat at the deadline. Like I, I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. It's the Canucks, so they'll always make it interesting. And at the end of the day, we'll probably just hold on to everybody. Well, it's also Jim Rutherford too. Yeah, he's a wild boy. Yeah. Uh, all right, Jordan Bennington, doing wild stuff again. Dude, he just needs to get his ass kicked. Yeah, Mark Mathot tweeted that out. Said uh, this guy. Needs he's just to such get a punk. Um, like. Just somebody needs to run him. Like, what is Milan Lucic waiting for? You're there for a reason. Just run him. I'm trying like, to think of who the, the Pens have that could have done something that game. I guess they don't really have anybody right now. But for, for context for everybody, in the last game, uh, Blues against Penguins, I think yesterday or a couple of days ago, mm-hmm. um, Jason Zucker was running behind the net to kind of chase down a loose puck. And uh, Bennington came out and kind of stiff-armed him. Caught him right in the face. He clotheslined yeah, him. Yeah, caught him right in the face, he took him out. It, he caught him, yeah, right here with his glove, and it sent uh, Zucker flying into the boards. Dangerous fall, too. He's lucky he's okay. Dangerous. Absolutely absurd. And again, I really like, you know, there are better ways to do that. Like, if what you're trying to do is, like, send a message or whatever, just put your body in front of yeah. You don't need to do something as dangerous and reckless as take his feet out from under him while he's skating, full speed skating, uh, you know, like you said, chasing a puck uh, uh, around the base. Make him run into you, right, instead. That's what um, I'm saying. Draw a penalty, whatever. Like, we've seen goaltenders do that. It, it, it's, you know, it can be dangerous for both you and, and the opposing player, but at least you're trying to get something out of it. In this case, you're literally just trying to hurt the guy. Yeah, even if you want to take a penalty, right, just do a blatant interference call and just step into him and hit him with your body. Yeah. And take an interference kind of call like that. Like, I just think there are ways to be an asshole in this particular instance that don't potentially get guys hurt as significantly as Jason Zuffer could have gotten hurt on their play. And this isn't about, you know, this isn't about like softening or the game or anything. Like, this is about needless risk. This is about a needless, uh, a needless action from a player who for the last three fucking years has just been begging for someone to do something and he just tries everybody. He's such a fake tough guy. It's such, it just sucks because he knows nothing's going to ever happen. He always ends up on the other side of the raft. Like it's just all this crap. He's just like a goalie version of Maxime Lapierre. Like it just sucks. Yeah. We don't see any redemption potentially. 
until uh, February 25th when the Penguins visit St. Louis. Um, I'm sure they'll still remember. When's the next time they play Minnesota? St. Louis? Let's go, Reeves. Yeah, yeah, Reeves. Uh, it's probably has a couple friends on that team still. Uh, Minnesota is December thirty first, New Year's Eve. I might have to make sure I watch that game. Yeah, I, I'm like I'm sure I'm sure there are just people whether they are friends with or know Jason Zucker or right. respect him or not that around the league guys that have seen that that already don't like Jordan Bennington that are saying, oh god, I can't wait till I play this guy next because like this is getting ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like the third time he's done something like this at, at, at this point. Um, and somehow like he still escapes it every time, right? Like no punishment, nothing. His reputation almost like seems to get expunged until he, he does something again. You're like, Oh yeah, this guy's an asshole. Like you kind of forget for a bit. And then you remember like, yeah, he's, he threw a water bottle at Nazem Kadri during an interview. Yeah. Like he's a child. This is, this is not about toughness this is not about sending a message this is not even about you know just asserting yourself this is just about being just throwing a temper tantrum like i don't understand like you know i i just can't think of anybody to my memory that was this ridiculous in net and this mediocre yeah, because like you can say what you want, like Mika Kiprasov, John Quick, like guys who like went crazy. Ray Emery, Ray Emery. they were Vezina caliber goaltenders. Jordan Bennington is a backup beyond the the cup run. Yeah, he had one good run. He's a backup. If you want to say he's a low end starter, fine. You know what I mean? I think I'd rather just walk Jaguar off the street and ask him to start for me. Huso. No kidding. Detroit's pretty happy they didn't. Yeah, uh, he's, he's done great there, and um, he did great. He did great when Bennington went down last year and, and was like the main goaltender for them for a while. There's, I don't know. I understand going with your guy who won you a cup and, and whatever it is, what it is. But there's a lot of things off the ice with Jordan Bennington that uh, are just undesirable. And then you look at his play not being that consistent and great on the ice. I think the the Blues blew a four one four one lead or something like that to the Rangers tonight and lost. Um, I haven't watched the game, but I'm sure there's a few suspect goals in that one. I think they blew a lead the, the night before that too. So it's uh... and Craig Berube said as much. Like he's like he said it has to stop. Yeah. Like there's multiple times he's done this. We can't have him doing this. If your head coach in professional hockey is going after you for your behavior in the media too, you are so far exactly so far beyond the line. It's absurd. Nobody circles the wagon like the NHL. Like, what are we doing? Yeah. yeah, even if he even if he ever got bought out or moved or whatever, he'd still get another chance somewhere because he's won a cup, and and that will always mean something to somebody, right? Um, when you're looking and analyzing which goaltender you should bring in, this guy was consistent enough for a run to win somebody a cup, and that's good enough for me, no matter what else he does. And and we well, we've seen that time and time again. That will be enough for some teams, whether he sticks mm-hmm. in St. Louis or not. Um. All right, um, last thing we have before we move on to the game day predictions is a tweet regarding um, kind of the, the jersey situation, rebranding for Anaheim. Apologies because I don't know um, who this guy is and what source he's from, but the tweet is blown up, So I, I and you know he has a decent amount of followers that he must have some credibility, but there's absolutely nothing in his bio, and I haven't done the research to find out who exactly he is. 
Uh, but I saw, you know, our, our friends from Crash the Pond and uh, Late Arrivals podcast tweeted out and, and get excited about it. So I imagine there's some credibility here uh, behind his tweets. But he had tweeted out Ali Mergy, um, probably butchered that, sorry, uh, that he's been informed of a possible Ducks rebrand coming in the next few years. Team Source tells tells him that the fans have been heard and then just says more to fall. That was December 4th um, at around 7.30 p.m. local time. So he there's a few questions in there. Somebody asked going back to the classic logo and color scheme, and he said can confirm the old color scheme will not return. Um, people asking if this will occur as of next season or when the manufacturer change moves away from Adidas, I think back to Nike or, or wherever. I don't know where they're going. I don't think that's been announced yet, but away from uh, Adidas. Uh, whether if it will happen then, next year, or whatever. No update on that other than a rebrand is in the works, which I feel like we've kind of known, right, at, at, that it was on its way, it's happening. Um, the, just the vast majority of times they've already worn that reverse retro on the road as it's become like the de facto road jersey as of late. It feels like the writing's on the wall, but, yeah, what are your takes? Because based on everything he said, no change to the old color scheme. Uh, the Ducks have heard the fans, and we've seen a lot of fans get excited about this reverse retro. What, what do you think's coming from this? I mean, if you if you ask me what I think is most likely, I think what is most likely is a new primary logo and a more prominent use of the mask and the sticks. If you told me they were getting a new color scheme and a new logo, but staying the ducks, I would be all the way in. I would love that. I love the black and orange. Totally do. I've been bought in since they chose it. But if they did decide in a big sweeping move to delineate the previous era of Ducks hockey from the coming one, the same way they did when they made the original rebrand, I would love it, man. I think you can do some really cool stuff. I think, um, you know, they have an opportunity to go out and maybe try some different colors that some teams aren't using as much, yep. things like that. It, it could be a lot of fun. It could be really cool. I, like, I think the easy out for sure is just using basically the orange home and revamping it a little bit so it looks like the reverse retro and having that with the you know the classic Ducks, Mighty Ducks logo as the home and the reverse retros as the away. I think that's the easy out. But part of me just reads those, and obviously there's not a lot to go off of, but we're talking rebrand and they've heard the fans and everything. Like there, There is the potential for something bigger, right? A, a complete mm-hmm. logo change, shift, maybe a color change. I, I don't know if they completely, you know, disregard the orange and move to something else but it does open it up to that you know rebrand is a a pretty significant word when you talk about that and you see other teams who've done rebranding look at the dallas stars and a few others they were significant moves away from logo and color scheme that they had before in a sense right so god i hope we don't do it a massive downgrade like the stars did. Oh my god! I, I their new logo. Su- I mean, you hard. could argue they already did, yeah, but it's very hard to make it work. But I mean, the, the, I'm sure that the front office um, has not just heard the fans. They've seen every almost every poll, whether it's with the Athletic or wherever, of who has the worst jersey or logo combination in the league. Mm-hmm. Every time you can go to any single one, go to Google and search them all up. You know, worst you know rankings of uh, NHL teams' logos or jerseys. The Ducks are bottom or bottom two, bottom three every time for a good every reason. time because the jerseys and the, the color scheme and the logo and everything they, they're just stale now. They don't work. 
and it's time for a change. So I, I think, you know, obviously the, the organization is not stupid. They see that. They've heard that. They hear the feedback from the fans. And it's, it's great that we're moving in that direction. I hope it's sooner rather than later because, you know, it does get you a little excited for what it could look like. And you, you hope to God uh, that uh, it doesn't turn into to anything just horrendous. Uh, but, hey, man, if, if, they're, if they're out there looking, our, our logo uh, can be bought for the right price. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the Anaheim Forever Mighty. Yeah. Um, yeah, I you know again like I, I think it's a really major opportunity for the franchise to just kind of reinvigorate the fan base after what's been a hard five years, right? Yeah. Like, you know, I, I don't think that's an unfair thing to say by any stretch of the imagination, and you know if if everything goes the way it looks like it's going to go and they finish in that kind of top three, top four, and they get one of these big kid studs. And now they've got their real core with, you know, Jamie and McTavish and Zegris and Terry and all these kids. The Sabadard. You know, yeah. You know, maybe they're, they're really excited about the opportunity to use that as a fresh start for the whole family, the whole organization, especially coming off of the way the Bob Marie era ended, right? I I do think that there is a degree to which that color scheme and look is indelibly tied to him. Mm -hmm. No, 100%. And I I, I don't think, you know, I think if he had retired and some of this stuff had come out after, I don't necessarily think it would be the same as far as being like, oh, we should really move on. But he had to resign, and that's not nothing. And he resigned after an internal investigation. And so, you know, I could certainly see them being like, we've got Verbeacon, you know. I, I mean, look, this duck stream is already more than we would have ever thought we would get out of Anaheim from a communication standpoint, yep. from a media standpoint. I am here for state-run media, man. It rocks. Um, you know, so maybe they really are just kind of trying to take this one step at a time, not necessarily rush anything, but really start to move the culture and the presence of the organization as a brand in a different direction, push it slowly year, two years from now, you know, Minchikov comes over and you drop. Uh, Mitchkov, 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 Mitchkov mm-hmm. uh, comes over and you drop all new thread, threads. I don't know. It's it, it's good it's, timing. It, it's frustratingly tantalizing. Yeah, for a hundred percent to kind of look at what it could be. I mean, even if even if it was at the very least just a shift to the reverse retros in a way, and then a home version of that, it still is a brand change in a sense, and in one that has been received positively. Um, by the fans, but timing-wise, it makes sense. Like you think of the last time they changed brands, it's after the loss of Paul Korea and shifting into kind of a new competitive era for the Ducks with uh, Pronger, Niedermeyer, you know, Getzlaff, Perry, um, you know, eventually Bobby Ryan on the on the come up, right? Of okay, this is kind of the new era for the Ducks moving away from the Mighty Ducks era. And obviously, again, a lot of that is spurned by the fact that the team was sold and, and moved on. You can't really have that. Mm-hmm. But in terms of timing-wise with the transfer and, and the transition of the roster to a different kind of core, you're mm-hmm. seeing that now where now you've got a bona fide marketable superstar in Trevor Zegers. You've got some really good young players on the way and already here at Terry and McTavish, Mintikov, Zellweger, you have a shot at a generational player in Bedard or even another superstar in Fintilli or Mitch Kov or whoever you take at the top of that draft. Why not 
you know, look at a new look to really usher in this new wave of, of mm-hmm. Ducks talent and, and core of, of young players um, to put them in some new threads and, and get it out there. So I'm all for it. Because... Man. I'm, I, I'm really, like you said, kind of on the edge of my seat to see what it is, whether it's a full rebrand or just that, that simple shift to the reverse ones. Yeah, because I think that's the thing, right? Anaheim is 30 years old or whatever, like 29 years old at this point. The, the franchise, we don't need to stand on ceremony. If we want to go in a new direction, the team should be willing. Like, I wouldn't even care if they went the Ducks anymore. I, you know, as long as they don't pick a shitty mascot, like, I'll ride with it. Let's go. Like, I have no problem with that. Like, I'm down for that stuff. No, no, as long as they don't change their name to Los Angeles, right? Like, that's the, yeah. No, if they that's do that, That's the I'll one never... thing. Yeah, they can't. I'll burn the whole thing. But you know what? To their credit, they don't seem to be stupid yeah. like the Angels are because, you know, they are putting the money into the OC vibe or whatever the hell it's going to be called and all that shit. Like, they are very clearly of Orange County in a, in a way that I appreciate, uh, even if I hate Orange County. Um, they're in Orange County and they're from Orange County and it's okay. Like, you can just be from Orange County. You don't have to pretend to be so stupid. I hate the Angels so much. Um... Anyways, uh, you know, if, if they wanted to go for a big swing and, you know, become the Orange County something or other, like, yeah, dude, go for it. I think that's cool. Like, again, as long as it's not stupid, I'll ride with it, you know. After a couple of years, even if it is stupid, you get used to it anyways. So, you know, I, I don't mind it. I think, again, like, it does it feel kind of like its own draft lottery in so much as I'm getting my hopes up for fucking nothing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely. Yeah, we're does. just getting our hopes up for the, like I said, the reverse retro simple option, right? So, yeah, I. But it's what it you could know. What be. I would love to see is I would love to see home and away not be designated colors anymore. Yeah. Because I would not mind if the reverse retro was our home jersey. Yeah. I'm. That's I'm fine that's with a perfect. I, I mean, we we've seen it more often now where teams will wear certain jerseys, you know, white jerseys on at home. Or uh, color jerseys on the road because another team's wearing their whites as a home. We started to see it more often, and it really doesn't matter other than just sticking with tradition of well, what is tradition now of the darker jerseys at home and the mm-hmm. whites on the road. Uh, but I would love to see some variety. I know it, I know it's hard because you do have to have you know a lighter and a darker to kind of make up for any any contrast. You want to have you know two darks and they contrast with whatever the other team's going to you know two jerseys are, and it makes it hard to watch. But you you know you look at again soccer as an example um, of the variety of colors and what uh, and, and mm-hmm. different types of jersey they has where you know not necessarily does the away have to be white it you know it could be a cream or a lighter color of, of, of a different type of color a green or a red or whatever you know the home jersey is still a darker one but it can be any color any variety right so there's a bit more flexibility there with what you can go for I think. Ultimately, the orange is very hard to move away with when you're in Orange County. It is one of the things, something that just kind of makes sense. But if you are going for that full rebrand, and that's the key word there, if you want to do a rebrand, then you know that lends itself to okay, maybe it's a logo swap, or maybe it's a full team change name, or you know they're changing up the color scheme or whatever. Um, and the only little tidbit we get is they're just not going back to the old color scheme. So not a ton of information mm-hmm. to go off of. So it, it allows you kind of speculate and get excited. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we're going to spend the next year and a half, two years talking about this because of one tweet 
from uh, nobody verified. Like, it's so silly, but at the same time, like, I'm here for it. Let's go. Let's get the most out of this. You guys have ideas, send them to us. I, I would love to see any crazy, insane ideas that you guys have for uh, logo changes, name changes, branding changes, color swaps, whatever. I think that's mm-hmm. that's one of my favorite parts, I think, about, like, sports Twitter is is getting to see the creativity of different people um and and the kind of branding and and design work that they do because you know you see some that you know i've seen more than a few that i think suck uh across all sports for all things but i've seen a lot that are wonderful oh yeah and it's you know i i i think we can absolutely try to will this into existence uh as a Twitter community or whatever the hell. Yeah, I'm, I mean, maybe we uh, maybe we put together uh, a bonus episode here. There, looking at a few, um, you know, a few examples of some. Uh, well, we should do like a pitch episode where we all we all come with our own pitch. Yeah, yeah there's tons of concepts out there. We've seen a bunch of them in the past of concept jerseys for the Ducks. So, um, has all the makings of a bonus episode to look at a few different concepts and, and bring our own ideas and. And you, know, you guys can send us whatever ideas, whatever concepts you've seen, and we can kind of discuss them a little bit. Because it's like you said, it's going to be a topic of discussion until it gets announced, um, with especially with everything going on, or until it gets squashed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Until you know, aesthetics or somebody comes out and says this is absolutely not happening. But um, I'll give Ali the benefit of the doubt right now. I have to do a bit more research into he, to who he is, but there are a fair amount of reputable people who follow him, and that tweet gained enough traction to make me think he does have some pull. Um, that he would be able to have you know, some some accurate information here. Um, okay, Ducks game day predictions presented by Seven One Four Tickets. We've got two on the docket for this week. One tomorrow, back home uh, against the Carolina Hurricanes at seven p.m. PST, and then the last game of the week is Friday against the San Jose Sharks at home as well at seven p.m. What do you got? I mean, really, there's only three options: two and zero. Oh. One and one. I'll one take two. two and zero. Two and zero. Okay. I'll take two and zero. Um, I'm I'm gonna go for the classic one and one. Uh, I don't know who to pick the win up against. I'm I'm actually cheating a little bit and going to look at how the uh, the Hurricanes have done over the last little stretch here. Or they've rattled off four wins in a row after losing five straight, um, with wins against Calgary, Pittsburgh, St. Louis, and L.A. Uh, but a decent amount of rest between. This game, their last game on Saturday, and then they don't play again until Saturday after the game against the Ducks. So I'm going to go loss against the Hurricanes, a tight one, close one, uh, and we'll pick up a dub against the, the Sharks because that's probably the most winnable game we have as the second worst team in the National Hockey League. So got to hope so. Yeah, at home too. But two and zero is within yeah. within hope when you're at home in front of that home crowd. I think it's it, especially coming after off a tough road tough road trip where you lost all four of them. Some of them mm-hmm. in, in some tight, tight fashion too. You win against Carolina, you're open for that two and zero. So it all comes down to uh, to tomorrow's game and how that pans out. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I think uh, I'll say just, just cause uh, that they go two and zero, and I will say that the goal differential ultimately ends up as Anaheim plus three. Okay, it's a good week. It's a good week considering it was minus think, seven or minus ten. I could see week. them having a nice. I can see them having a nice little, you know, dead cat bounce here or something kind of like that and like having two good games. You know, I think uh, – I would say I think the game against the Sharks should be a win regardless because I think having the gap between Tuesday and Friday gives them a day to get some practice in, uh, you know, and if they can 
continue to work on the power play. I don't see any reason why they couldn't put a couple of uh, power play goals past the Sharks and, and take a win. So I, I, I will go with 2-0, and ultimately with a plus-three goal differential, and I would say none of neither of the games, none, neither, go to shootout. At worst, it's overtime wins. Yeah, I think I think the um, the San Jose game will be a shootout in the sense I think it will be a high scoring affair. Uh, both teams can classic nine eight. Yeah, uh, West Coast game. Seattle the other day, nine eight. So it'll be some. I, I mean, I'm all for that, man. Whether you come out the winner, winner or loss, and I don't game. know where either of those teams are getting nine and eight goals, but let's go for it. it sounds like fun. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I fully expected it to be Matty Beneers just going off, and I think he only had one point in that game, so it was just a bunch of guys. Uh, picking, oh, no, it was Adrian Kemper. Adrian Kemper only had, like, a goal in nine goals for the Kings in that game, which was wild. That's absurd. Uh, but, yeah, I'm going 1-1, one one, you're going 2-0. Oh. Um, so that's our game day predictions presented by 714 Tickets. But that's going to wrap it up. You got anything else before we do a little outro here and close it up? No, I don't think so. Um, you know, rough road trip, nice little homestand real quick to get us back up. Only two games this week, which I think is good for us and for the team. Uh, you know, sometimes it's nice to just kind of have a chance to flush everything and, and move forward. And, you know, I can watch some stuff other than hockey and uh, go from there. Um, but yeah, no, nothing, nothing too crazy, nothing too exciting. Uh, we're coming up on the holiday season, which I imagine will make some of the podcasting and scheduling stuff get a little weird. But we will burn that bridge when we get there. We'll go with that before we go to the outro. A couple, couple other predictions: tomorrow's World Cup games, uh, Morocco, oh. Morocco and Spain tomorrow at ten. I guess seven. I hope for Morocco you guys. wins one nothing. I'm, I'm Morocco I'm wins. Going Morocco too. Um, I Canada, oh, Canada's out, so going. I'm uh, going for the underdog. And then Portugal, Switzerland. I am heavily rooting for Switzerland after. Oh, I could not be more excited to root for <laughs> which, Switzerland. Which sucks because I do like, um, I mean, obviously, if you guys have heard our soccer talks, you know we're both United fans. I do love Bruno. I do like Diego Dillo. Uh, but mm-hmm. uh, fuck Cristiano Ronaldo right now. So Yeah, not rooting for that fucking guy. So go Switzerland. Uh, go Morocco. Burn, I'll be burned. Double underdog. Oh, shit. <laughs> well, he's going to, I hate Ronaldo. He's going to uh, Saudi Arabia. So close cool enough. Um, we'll uh, <laughs> cheer in on Morocco and Switzerland tomorrow. Some some good matchups. That classic Moroccan Swiss connection. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, so, I want to see some more upset, more upsets. We saw a lot in the group stages, so continue that on. But that's you know what upset we didn't see the United States over Netherlands. Oh, who could have predicted here. that one? That's surprising. Know, that did you okay? Did you hear the Louis Van Hall comment after the game? No. He was like, they didn't adapt, they didn't adjust. We built our entire game plan about going down their flanks, and that's what we did. And I was like, yeah, somebody, oh somebody tweeted God, out that dude. Louis Van Gaal uh, stole what is it, Burhalter's lunchbox and lunch money in that game, <laughs> so, dude. Yeah, it was uh, like just brutal. Yeah. I miss Louis, man. Sometimes we gotta I have do. Brent back on. Maybe we'll have Brent and Avery because I know we talked about having them on. We'll have Brent and Avery on. Uh, maybe just before the semis or the quarters for the World Cup and have some fun and talk to those guys because that would be a lot of fun. We'll see if uh, the Netherlands and Louis are are still in it at that point. They play Argentina in the quarterfinal game, so that will be... That's not going to be good. That will be a tough one. But um, 
All right, for anybody who um, follows us on Twitter, don't if you don't, before every game we have a prediction game called FM3 Stars. Predict the Ducks' first goal score, the final score of the game, and one other random prediction we have. Some of the other ones we've done is who gets the most hits, who takes the first penalty, do the Ducks get over 30 shots, and so on. Um, you get one correct point for each correct answer on that night, and at the end of the month we tally up the results, and the winner for that month wins two tickets to a Ducks game uh, presented by 714 Tickets as well as a Ducks promo swag pack for some of the promo gear uh, that they've done over the last couple seasons. So it's a lot of fun just to compete in that, a little bit of a, a prediction game to keep you a bit more engaged during the game anyway. Uh, Ducks aren't going to score a lot of goals, so why not you know make a little bet on who you think is going to score the first goal and what the final score is going to be. Um, and it's a lot of fun, a lot of fun to participate in. We've got a lot of dedicated people who do that. So if you have time, about 45 minutes before the game, uh, check us out on Twitter at Forever Mighty FM. 45, and, and 4 to 5. Yeah, I mean, it, yes. You know, you'll always know when uh, I'm the one who got en- ended up being in charge of it because it'll come out about 10 minutes before the game, and the last question will be like, who stubs their toe in the locker room? Yeah, it, uh, it's so. the, the early games have been tough. I'm used to 10 o'clock starts, set my alarm for 9.15, post goes out but these some of these early ones have been brutal and then i was on your time for a bit that was that was interesting because it was uh 7 p.m starts for me normally which were 4 p.m starts out that way so those ones were were interesting and then these these weekend games too we had a 2 p.m and 3 p.m matinee here which was like what 11 and 12 uh Mm -hmm. time so yeah those were uh those are interesting ones. But, yeah, sometime between 45 minutes from puck drop and, and, four and, to five. and a couple minutes before puck drop actually happens. So. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully with more time for you guys to make your predictions usually. But uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, check, you know, Enjoy the, the, the game tomorrow against Carolina, the game on Friday against the Sharks as much as you can. If you want to help us keep going throughout the season, you can find us on Apple Podcasts. Search Forever Mighty and leave us a rating and a review. Uh, Spotify also has the rating system as well, so make sure you do it if you haven't. And uh, we, we go through the rate, uh, the reviews on Apple Podcasts as much as we can throughout the year, and we'll read it on the show. Uh, we really appreciate them, love seeing them come in. It's, it's, it's another way to help us get the show out there to more people uh, and get people involved. Uh, all the video versions of this show exist briefly on Twitch after the podcast is done. But if you want to see them in length over the last few years, including some of the interviews we've done, we interviewed Trevor Zegras at one time, Once Upon a Time, Max Jones, Ricardo Gromberg, a few others. They all exist um, on our YouTube. You go to youtube.com slash Podcast. Make sure to subscribe. Uh, we occasionally put out some interviews, uh, a few different other shows as well, that um, if we aren't able to do, usually aren't able to do those ones live on Twitch, um, that's one of the places or the only place that the video version uh, of that interview will exist. So make sure to check there and subscribe and, and keep your eyes peeled for those. Uh, check out our website at forevermighty.com to find everything in one place. So where to watch, listen to the show, how to support us, where to find us on social media. Um, for Twitter, uh, we're at, at forevermightyfm. I'm at Eddie Van Jones. Steven is at the Hockey Boomer. Um, and the boys, Pat and Jay, at P. Mahomes. Are dead. At J Dog Hockey. But uh, yeah, they're still in our basement, kidnapped, I guess, right? That's the. Yeah. That's the running. They, joke we place. thought we could let them out, and they behaved poorly, and so they had to go right back down into the basement. We'll try, we'll try again next December. We'll see. <laughs> see we'll see. see it will become. It's not looking good for them. But uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for everybody who was able to join the stream. I know it was put together a little bit last minute, but we've having been having some internet connectivity issues, which seem 
seem to be gone. Fingers crossed. Gone. Smooth, almost two-hour show. Nothing dropped out. Nothing cut out. We were good to go here. So thanks for everybody who was able to jump into the stream. Um, Thanks for everybody listening after the fact. And we're hoping to go back to more live shows as often as we can. So if you haven't joined the stream and you've got some time, make sure to head to our Twitch um, you know, turn on the notification for when we do go live. Give us a follow and uh, try and get in here. It's always fun engaging with you guys in the chat when we can, and it, it adds a little bit more uh, interactive uh, connectivity to to our listeners during the show. So it's uh, a lot of fun. That was a, a butchered way of saying just come join our live stream. We want to see you guys in here. But uh, appreciate it, guys. Uh, enjoy the games, and we'll see you next week. Have a good one.